Good afternoon, everyone. Allison Skawark here with Consolidated Planning Group. We are happy to be bringing you another webinar uh, on planning for special needs. Uh, we have Brandy Timmons uh, with us today, and um, she's kind of going to go over a little bit of her background and kind of what brings her here today. But what we are talking about is um, preparing our loved one with a disability for independence and kind of talking through what some of those processes are. Um, so this is our first time um, partnering with Brandy, so we're certainly happy to have Brandy here. From a housekeeping perspective, I wanted to let you know that today's webinar is being recorded. If you are joining us by podcast and you want a copy of today's slides, um, you can email us at contact at cpgcares.net, and we will be happy to send you a copy of the slides with any links or anything that is included. Um, we are in webinar mode, which means that we can't see you or hear you, but we do know you're there and we're glad you're here. And as always, um, we, um, we love your questions. So if you have questions as we're going through today's presentation, we ask that you um, put those in the chat box. I'll be monitoring the chat box and we'll read those questions out to Brandy. And we aim to answer just as many as we can. Brandy will have her contact information out there as well. So you can reach out uh, following the webinar should you, you know, have additional questions uh, as well. Um, after today's presentation, you will get an email with a copy of today's slides as well as the recording. Um, so you don't have to take notes on every single thing uh, that you hear today because you are going to get a copy of the slides as well. Um, Consolidated Planning Group, we are a holistic special needs financial planning firm. Uh, we do webinars on a weekly basis. Um, we do several a week um, surrounding topics pertaining to families that have a loved one with special needs or a disability. And um, we have a YouTube channel. I'm going to put that in the chat box in just a little bit. Um, all of our past webinars live on our YouTube channel where you can subscribe uh, for free and peruse topics um, for the step that you're on in the planning process, whether you're thinking about guardianship or applying for SSI and Medicaid or thinking about a special needs trust or like all of the things to do or not to do, uh, there is a topic out there um, regarding that. So you can peruse those. There's probably over 200, 250 webinars out there that you can check out. So um, we are a holistic special needs uh, financial planning firm. We have over 30 years of experience. There's over 250,000 uh, financial advisors in the U.S. and less than 125 total are nuanced and special needs. And so when it comes to planning for your loved one with special needs, it's important that you work with a specialist um, as you plan. It's really, really important that we have money in the right buckets, that we plan for their future care when you um, may no longer be here or be able to provide for their care services. And a lot of what we're talking about today and kind of growing that independence is gonna help with these things as well. But we're able to put um, protection plans, lifetime care plans. Um, we provide future care cost estimates, like how much is needed to fund a special needs trust. So we can definitely help you on your journey. Um, most of the families that we work with, they may already have an advisor and that is completely okay. We work on a consulting basis. Um, we're happy to work with the team that you're already working with. Um, also, um, you know, we're happy to work with you and kind of pick up where you left off. A lot of people have started on the planning process, then they got busy or they got overwhelmed and they put it on the shelf and they know they need to do it. Um, and want to revisit, um, you know, revisit it. And other families have really done a ton of planning uh, and they might just want a second opinion or a look under the hood of what do they already have in place and are there any additional recommendations? We can help with all of those things. So having said that, um, what I would like to do is I'd like to turn everything over uh, to Miss Brandy. Brandy, thank you again for joining us today. I am going to go ahead and um, mute my video and my audio. I'll be monitoring the chat box and uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you guys for having me um, today. I'm excited to talk about this topic. It's one of my favorite favorites to discuss, um, one of my favorites for parents because I feel like it's something that um, is practical and um, one of the easier things to implement. So um, I'm hoping that you can take away a few things today that you can go ahead and just start implementing and using that will help you to see a major difference um, down the line. So a little bit about me, um, who I am and why I'm here. 
So I am a board certified behavior analyst, but I like to tell people I'm a teacher first. So I was in education for about 20 years. Um, I started working um, in a self-contained life skills classroom for middle school through high school. Um, and actually middle school and high school is my favorite age to work with. I've done all ages. I've worked with um, the babies all the way from two-year-olds to um, all of the adults. Our oldest in our program um, that I work with now is 55. So a um, little bit of everything, but I fell in love with individuals on the autism spectrum early, early in my career. So that has been my focus. You're going to hear me talk a lot about autism today, um, but taking the strategies that I'm going to discuss, can you can take those and use those for any child. So the principles that we're going to talk about are really for anyone. Um, but what, what really fascinated me was the fact that you had these kiddos that expectations usually weren't very high for them. And when you found the right strategies, implemented the right supports, the gains and the things that they could do were phenomenal. There were no limits. Most of these kids just needed that extra little bit of support to be successful. They needed people to understand them and to help them along on their journey. Um, just give you one quick example. I had a student that came to me um, as a sixth grader um, and in his IEP meeting, his former teacher brought a coloring page that he had done and we discussed the coloring page. And so after she had talked about um, how much progress he'd done, made and how much he loved to color, I asked, you know, well, what are we doing for math and what are we doing for reading? Bottom line is they really weren't. There wasn't much going on. And so as a sixth grader, his reading level was about probably about a third, uh, second to third grade level. As in math, he was probably around a kindergarten level. Came into my classroom, um, my paraprofessionals and I found the right supports for him. And within a year, he was moved out of our life skills classroom into a general education um, setting and had progressed to grade level in reading and ended up graduating from high school with a regular diploma going on and having a job. And last I heard, just a successful young man. And those are the kinds of stories that we love to hear about kids. Now, is that everyone? Is that gonna happen for every child? No, it's not. Um, and so that's why I wanna look at this first slide today on independence. What does independence mean? Well, it's gonna mean something different for everyone. Having individual autonomy, the opportunity to be actively involved in the decision-making process and the opportunity to experience the physical, social, economic, and cultural environment around you. Living life based on your own goals, whatever those goals might be. If you're able to live according to those goals, you're experiencing a level of independence. Having some assertion of control over your own life choices. Remember yourself as a teenager, isn't that what everyone wanted? We wanted to be adults and have control over our own lives. Well, all of our kiddos want some type of autonomy over their life. And it's our goal to help them to reach that whatever level independent of independence they are capable of reaching. Next slide, please. Right now, I'm working as a consultant to two different companies. Um, I'm the educational consultant for social motion skills located in Houston. Um, social motion works with individuals with autism and similar disabilities on social skills and um, transition to employment services. I also work with a company um, called the Center for Pursuit who serves individuals with IDD, autism, other disabilities. Um, the center provides job skills training. They have day programs, residential programs, um, different types of services for different needs. So one of the things that I have learned over the years and working for programs that expand from early ages like pre-K and kindergarten all the way to adult is seeing that life lifespan of services, seeing how children progress and move from one um, stage of life to another. And what's really become obvious over the last um, 10, 15 years 
are the barriers to success that happen for our young adults. When you have a transition program and you're working on transitioning into a job, th those things become very apparent. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. I want to explain to you some of the barriers that we have seen when individuals come to us as 18 year olds, 20 year olds, 25 year olds, trying to go into the workforce, trying to live independently, trying to become more independent. So we're gonna talk about those things, give you some strategies on how to combat those barriers. Um, but the one thing that I want you to just take to heart right now and think about, it's never too early to start building independence. I know you're gonna hear transition starts at age 14. Um, some states transition doesn't even start till 16. Some states, they start a little bit earlier than that and they may begin at um, 12 or 13 years old. But for you today, I want you to think about these barriers and how they might affect your child and the fact that you don't have to wait until they're that age to start. You can start with some of these strategies now, whatever age they are, go ahead and start. And the other thing that I want you to take to heart today is that this does not have to be something that's a huge program that you're implementing. We're not handing you a textbook that you have to read and you have to learn and go back home and implement. These are strategies, pick and choose the ones that work for you. Pick and choose what is easiest for you to do and start today and just do something. Start with something and build on those things as you progress. So the first thing we're gonna talk about is prompt dependence. Prompt dependence is when an individual either won't do what they know know to do and or are capable of until they are prompted. This is a huge thing for a lot of our kids, especially those that are coming out of the public school systems. Um, what happens is as they're being taught new skills, they are being prompted to for success, which doesn't sound like a bad thing. Um, and if it's done correctly, it's not a bad thing. Prompts, prompts are great. Um, cues are great. That's wonderful. We use prompts and cues for a lot of daily things. You and I use prompts and cues all the time. But what happens is when teachers start to teach skills, they start at a level of prompting and then they never fade away from those prompts they continue to provide that prompt every time a child does something. And eventually that individual is going to become dependent on that prompt and won't be able to either start or complete a task until they've been prompted. So how do we combat that? Next slide, please. This is what's called the hierarchy of prompting and cueing. And if you look at um, on the left hand side, we have um, where it says least invasive. Up at the top of this hierarchy are what's called natural cues. Those are the everyday cues that everyone receives, that everyone needs to complete tasks in their lives. Okay, um, for instance, if you walk into your kitchen and you see that the trash is overflowing in your garbage can, then that is a natural cue for you to empty that trash, take it outside, put it in the bin, and then come back in and replace the, um, the liner. Um, that, that's the goal. That's where we want our kids functioning. We want them to recognize natural cues and to be able to do things when they receive those cues. Um, as you go down the hierarchy, the cues be become more invasive. You have visual prompts, and then you have verbal prompts, and then we get to gestural prompts, and then modeling. And then all the way down at the bottom is what is called a physical prompt, which a lot of people know is hand over hand. So either full or partial when you're guiding someone by their hand to help them complete a task. So what you want to make sure that you're doing is if you are teaching someone and you're using, let's say, verbal prompts and they become successful with the task, then we need to back off. 
So rather than giving them a complete statement and telling them what to do in a sentence, let's back off and just give them one word and see if that's enough prompt for them to get started and to complete a task. Once they've completed that using um, a more simple verbal prompt, then let's back off again and let's just provide them with a visual prompt. Maybe we show them a picture so that they know that they need to start a task or complete a task. So if you look at, look at the, the hierarchy of prompting and queuing, find out where you're giving the prompts at any given time. Once the individual starts to become successful at a task, back off from that and move closer and closer to those natural cues. There's lots of information um, on the internet, of course, about how to fade cues. If you have a teacher that you feel comfortable talking to and you're working on a skill, you can ask them about ways to um, fade cues. Um, many of your therapists, occupational physical therapy, um, BCBAs, they're going to be able to help you with those as well. Some of the things will be natural, um, naturally faded. There are other things that might take a little bit of creativity. Um, one of the ways that you can fade a visual prompt is if you print a picture schedule out in 100% um, ink opacity, then the next time you print it, you drop it down to 75. And the next time you print it, you drop it to 50 until it becomes just a shadow. So that's that's actually a, um, that's a way to, to fade a visual prompt. Um, another way you can do that is if you print out a physical um, visual prompt, you can cut the paper in half and then eventually cut it down to a teeny tiny piece of um, paper and then eventually get rid of that until it becomes a natural cue. So different ways to fade. The point is make sure that you do that. Make sure that you fade those prompts. Next slide, please. So the reason why that's important and the reason why we want to get rid of the prompt dependence for our kiddos is because they end up becoming, um, having what's called learned helplessness. And in our transition programs, I can tell you that this is probably one of the most difficult um, barriers to overcome with many of our um, young adults wanting to go into the workplace. Um, unfortunately, it's extremely common and even those kiddos that um, have lots of skills and abilities, um, the learned helplessness that's there really impedes them from being able to be successful in the workplace. Um, what happens is through the prompt dependence, through us not giving them the opportunity to be successful on their own and not teaching them to use natural cues, they receive reinforcement over time thinking that they're not capable of working. And for most of, or not just working, but completing any task or living independently or, you know, even tying your own shoes or getting dressed in the morning, all those independent skills, um, because we jump in and we help them too much and because we don't push them to be successful, they start to think that they're not capable. So we have to learn to sometimes back off a little bit. I know for parents that's difficult sometimes um, in different situations. It's not always um, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes it is difficult to make time and give them opportunities to even fail in situations. And so we have to be intentional about that. So just think about that prompt dependency. Think about um, learned helplessness and how we can combat that. Um, I'm a huge proponent of creating a climate of high expectations for our kids. That's another um, presentation that I love to do. Um, so that comes into play with the learned helplessness. We have to expect that our kids are able and capable, and we have to set them up for success. So again, some of the strategies, fading, fading your prompts, waiting, don't offer help before it's needed. Give them a chance, give them an opportunity, and know 
make sure you know what your what your child or young adult is capable of doing. Make sure that what you're asking them to do is something that's attainable for them. Don't ask them to do things that are too difficult that's going to cause frustration. Okay, next slide, please. This one. Oh my goodness. Life doesn't happen by magic. This is so big with so many of our kiddos. So many of our kids come into the house, you know, they wake up in the morning, their clothes are clean. Um, everything's hanging up where it should be. Everything's in the drawers where it's expected. They go in to get breakfast and, you know, everything's set out on the table for them. Food is ready. Everything's been prepared. Um, they don't understand all of the things that happen in the background that make your household run. Um, many of our kids, um, you know, the phrase out of sight, out of mind, if they don't see it, then it doesn't exist. If they haven't been taught something explicitly, then they don't recognize that it takes place. So we see this with many of our um, transition age kiddos. We, we see this with our younger kids in our social skills classes. Um, if they didn't see you have to go to the store and buy their clothes, pick out the right size, the color, et cetera, they may not recognize that that's what happened for them to show up in their closet. Um, for our kiddos that are learning to drive, you would be amazed at how many kids don't, don't understand that you have to get your driver's license, you have to buy insurance, you have to keep air in the tires and have the oil checked and take it in for, take that car in for maintenance. All of those things that have to happen for your household to run, um, they need to understand that it doesn't happen by magic, so it's going to be up to you to show them and to talk about and explain all of those things in your household that take place. Next slide, please. So how are you going to do that? What are some of the strategies? Number one, you're going to give them appropriate chores. Um, this is huge. And remember, we talked about it. it's never too early to start. So you can start giving appropriate chores as soon as they are capable to help with anything. Um, it's super easy to go on Google and Google um, chore charts for age developmental ages and start picking from those. Pick one thing that you're going to have your two-year-olds help you with. Pick something that your four or five-year-old is going to help with. I do intakes for all of the 200 and plus kids that come into our social skills program. And this is one of the questions that I ask the kids, are you responsible for chores? And usually it's the parents that say, oh no, we're, we can't do that. We don't, we don't have time to work on that. So let me just remind you that there are some things that are gonna be difficult to implement sometimes, but it's going to pay off in the long run for you to be intentional about these things and to um, you know, add in one thing a week. Um, next slide, please. Set aside some time each week to teach the skills. Next slide. Be available, you're right, go back. Be available to assist as needed when you're teaching the skills. Make sure that you understand, um, again, what they're capable of doing. Don't give them things that are too hard or too easy, um, but be there to assist them as needed. Help them um, to be successful. You don't want them to get too frustrated, but you also want them to have to try and you want to push them enough that they're learning something new. Next slide. Call the Goldilocks principle. Make sure that what you're giving them is not too easy, it's not too hard, and it's just right. So if you're implementing um, chores, make sure that it's something that they can complete and then they can feel successful and good about so that they're more willing to do something the next time. Next slide. Talk to your kids about things that you do and responsibilities that you have. Um, this sounds like um, it would be intuitive, but it's not always. 
we are usually so busy as parents. We have so many things that we have to do and take care of every single day that sometimes it's hard to stop and just talk to our kids about what we're doing. Um, if you are filling out an insurance claim, explain to them what you're doing and why you're doing that. If you're working on your taxes, explain what you're doing and why you're doing that. Um, just make sure that they understand all those different things that you have to do. If you have to call and make an appointment um, for the dentist or any kind of appointment that you're making, involve them in that and explain to them why that's important as well. Next slide. And involve them in your household maintenance acti activities. There's lots and lots of things that happen around the house that you can include your kids in. Um, when you're changing out um, air filters around the house, include them in that, help them to do that. If you're ordering groceries, our kids love to be on the computers now, use an app, have them ordered, um, place that order and have your kids help you to do that. And then one of the things that's really important that we see, um, many of our families have people have help in the house. So they have someone that comes in and helps with the household chores. Um, many, many of our families have multiple generations living in a home. So there may be a grandmother or a grandfather that's there as well. And during the day, they may be doing things around the house um, that your child never sees them do. So even if those situations are true, make sure that you're still teaching them all of those things. Teach them all of the household skills, explain to them, you know, explain to them what grandma's doing during the day that they don't um, recognize that maybe she's doing laundry during the day and it shows up on their bed folded and ready to be put away. Or maybe, um, maybe she's helping with ordering the food for the week or whatever it is that there, somebody is doing at the home, make sure your kids understand those things and know that it doesn't just happen by magic. Next slide. Masking. Masking is something that is very common with many of our kids. Um, it's a term that we hear a lot with um, individuals with autism, um, but everyone, everyone masks at different times. If you have ever been in a situation where you had to change the way your facial features look, the way your tone of voice was, um, so that it didn't reflect what you were actually feeling or thinking inside, you were masking. Um, our kids do this frequently. Um, next slide, please. Masking is also known as camouflaging and it becomes a social survival strategy for many of our kids. Um, it's a way to compensate for difficulties that they may have. It's a way to compensate for, um, you know, to help them to fit in better with those that are around them. So masking can look like forcing or faking eye contact during conversations. It can look like imitating smiles and other facial features, um, mimicking gestures, hiding or minimizing personal interest, um, even developing rehearsed responses to questions can be a form of masking and then especially scripting conversations and even pushing through intense sensory discomfort so even though we all mask at times it's important for us to recognize when our kids are masking in a way that's going could be damaging to their mental health um, in a way that could be causing them anxiety and distress in situations. We don't want masking to become um, the only way that they can survive in a social situation. So the way this shows up sometimes with our kids is when you ask them questions about what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Um, this is the kid that every time you ask them, hey, how you doing? You, you good? Yep, I'm good, I'm fine. And they never, they never express anything further. They don't talk about any of their feelings, even when, even when you know that um, they may not be fine. Um, this is also the kid that 
um, when you're giving instructions, they're always gonna say, yep, I got it, no problem. Next slide, please. Um, they're gonna tell you that they've heard the instructions, no problem, I can do that, okay? When we know that they may have listened, but they may have not understood everything that's being said to them. So it's really important for us to recognize, to learn and recognize if they are masking and teach them how to, um, to feel comfortable enough to talk about their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions. It's important for us to teach them how to, um, to ask questions when they need to. So um, on this next slide, some of the strategies. When you give your child directions, have them repeat those directions back to you, okay? So we know with a lot of our kiddos, they don't always um, listen in the same way that others do. A lot of our kids can be bouncing off the wall and running around the room and they still hear everything that you said, but we wanna be sure. We want to make sure that they know and they understood what you said. And typically if they can repeat back to you what they heard, the way they heard it, then they're, they have listened and they've understood. One of the big um, lessons that we teach in our social skills groups at Social Motion for all ages, um, we start with the littles all the way through our young adults, is we start teaching how to ask for understanding. Asking for understanding um, is something that they may find embarrassing um, as well as asking for help. So if your kids are in, in a school setting, it may not be the cool thing to do to ask for understanding and ask for help, but it might be the necessary thing to do. So it's super important for you to actually work with them on how to do that. So um, one of the ways that I suggest to do this is through role play. Um, come up with scenarios, talk to them about situations when they really might need to have understanding in a situation, um, talk to them about situations where they might need to ask for help and role play those. Um, start out, you might start out with you role playing your child so that they can, so that you can model and they can hear how you ask for help. And then, um, then you can switch once, once they've mastered that, then you can switch and let them start asking for help and make time, be intentional about practicing um, this because ultimately you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to understand that there's no shame in being um, needing to ask for help. There's no shame in not understanding this something the first time and needing to get further um, clarification on something. Then teaching your child to express and talk about their emotions. Now, this, um, this is one of those things that um, is really easy to do, but difficult for us as adults sometimes. So when I was teaching in a classroom, I used to have lessons from my paraprofessional paraprofessionals um, on how to express and talk about their emotions. Um, we as adults typically don't like to talk about the way we feel. We don't like to um, express our emotions, but it's super important for our kids to have the vocabulary around emotions. Um, most of your kiddos, if they're in a school setting, um, or even if you're doing some work at home with them around this, they, they get the basics. They usually understand happy, sad, angry, surprised, um, scared. Those are usually the ones that are talked about. But when you stop and you think about emotions, there are thousands of ways to express that you're happy. There are, you know, multiple words that you can use to explain to someone um, how sad you're feeling. There's all different levels of anger. There's levels of um, sadness and happiness and the way that we feel. And what, what we need to do is we need to model for them and provide 
provide them examples of these things. So what happens in the way that you truly learn emotions is when you understand a situation and you hear a word or see faces that match that emotion, you're able to connect those two things together. And so you basically just need to learn to talk about those things throughout the day. Um, it can be a running dialogue. It can be you just discussing how, what you're thinking and how you're feeling throughout your day. Um, I always like to give the example um, of a mom or dad going to fix breakfast in the morning and they walk to the refrigerator and they open the door and the milk jug is empty. And of course, when you're planning on um, feeding everyone cereal in the morning, it's busy and everybody's trying to get out the door. Um, the emotions that you're feeling at that point are not real great. And so at that point, you're going to actually turn around and talk to your child and say, do you see my face? Do you know that mom is super frustrated right now that somebody didn't tell me that we were out of milk? I was planning to fix cereal this morning and now I have to change our plans and this makes me very angry and talk about it and then take it a little step further just explain well you know what we have bread so everybody's going to have toast this morning so you actually just modeled your emotions and you modeled problem solving in the same um, two minutes so it's a super easy way to do that. And then teaching your child perspective taking and theory of mind. So theory of mind is understanding how other people are thinking and feeling in a situation. So once they've learned, um, you know, about emotions and those words that you can be using, they need to learn about how other people think and feel in situations and how that may not always match up to the way they are thinking and feeling. Um, a great way to do this is simply through reading books with your child. Um, when you're reading books, pick characters that are expressing emotions and feelings and the pictures show those things. And you can discuss that while you're reading. You can talk about those things, um, talk about what someone's thinking on one page, ask questions about, you know, what are they gonna think or feel on the next page because such and such happened. So simple, easy way to um, talk about perspective and theory of mind is just reading books with your with your kiddos. All right, our Batman slide. Having a false sense of reality. This, um, this comes into play with our young adults. We see this um, a lot with those that are coming in and looking for jobs and wanting to, um, to be more independent. But what has happened is they have developed this sense of they're never wrong. They never do anything um, that's not good because they have been overpraised. Um, again, unfortunately, this happens a lot in our school settings um, because they're told throughout their school that um, they tried and they're okay because they tried. Um, it doesn't matter that they messed up. Um, we're going to fix it because they tried. But think about you at your job. What's What would happen to you if you were at work and you made some big mistakes um, and went to your boss and said, um, you know, but it's okay because I tried. Well, it's not because if you just tried, but you can't do your job correctly, then you are probably going to reap the consequences of that. So it's super important for us to help our kids, help our um, young adults understand that sometimes just trying is, isn't going to be enough. Um, next slide, please. So what are we going to do to help them with that? Well, number one, we're going to let them fail. We need to let our kids fail at some things. Um, and I know, you know, as a parent, as a teacher, that's not always fun. That's not, um, that's not what we want to do. 
but think about yourself. Think about um, other people that you know that don't have a disability. How do we learn things? We try. Everybody deserves the right to try, but we also deserve the right to fail and to learn from our failures. So if you think back a few slides where I talked about the Goldilocks principle, this is where it becomes super, super important for you to know exactly where your kids and your young adults are. What skills do they have? What level are, are they at? Um, I know the word assessment is not always people's favorite words because when you think of assessment, a lot of people think of star test, a lot of people think of IQ test, um, all those kinds of tests that everybody has to take. But that's not really what assessment means. Assessment is just gaining um, an idea of where someone is at um, in their ability in something. So an assessment can be as simple as, um, for example, you're teaching your child to um, tie their shoes, but you want to know, you know, how, how much do they already know? So you give them their shoes, you sit down with them and you ask them to try. So when, once they have tried, you can see the steps that they know and how far they get. Um, that in itself is an assessment, okay? Same thing with um, learning to wash the dishes. If you don't know how well they know how to do that, you know, set it up and get them to wash the dishes and see what they do. Maybe they maybe they know how to fill up the sink with the um, water and put the soap in, but they don't know how to scrub everything um, to your liking, okay? So you've done an assessment and you know where their skills are. So now you know what you can ask of them. So now you can gauge, is what I'm asking them too hard? Because if it's too hard, they're gonna fail every time and that we don't want that to happen. But if you give them something that's just about right and maybe you provide a little bit of support, then they might fail the first time, but they might try again and be successful the second time. That's what we want. And then with a lot of our kids, we don't want them to give, we don't wanna give them things that are too easy because then they're gonna get bored. Um, Brandy, we had a nice comment in the chat box um, just saying that this is really thorough and the most informative um, presentation that they've heard in a long time and so, so much practical and useful examples that they can use with their child with IDD, 12 year old. So they're very happy with that. But one um, comment that um, I had that I wanted to you know talk about and I myself am a parent of, of special needs kids. And so when we have someone that is on the spectrum or perhaps ADHD, um, you know, some of their, you know, the frontal lobe stuff, I had to teach myself to, to also give realistic jobs. Like for instance, like with an ADHD kid, when we say go upstairs, put your pajamas on, clean your room, brush your teeth and get in bed that's far too many commands for their brain. <laughs> and yeah. so they get up the stairs and they're like, wait, what was I going to do again? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, or maybe they get upstairs and they get in the bathroom and then they start playing with toys in the bathroom or something like that. Right. Um, so it, so bite size. So it's not babying, um, but also realizing kind of meeting them where they are on those types yeah. of things and not barking so many commands at once. I, we found helpful in our household. Pairing it down Absolutely. a little. Yeah, so that, that fits right in with the Goldilocks principle. So it's knowing where your kids are. If they're capable of handling three and four step instructions, great. Go ahead and give those. But if they're not, then you need to back up and know where they are and what they're capable of doing. Um, because again, you want them to be successful, but at the same time, let them fail if they need to step in and give some support so that they have to try a little harder the next time. So um, ultimately, don't jump in and fix everything for them. We're too quick to jump in and want to do everything and make everything perfect for them. Um, our kids need to learn about those natural consequences as well that come from that come from failure that happen when we do things that um, you know aren't always successful. So when you think about the prompting and cueing, our goal is to get to those natural cues and prompts, but we also need to teach the natural consequences of things because those are the things that are going to happen every day when we're not around um, to provide for them. Okay, next slide. A few more minutes. This is a big one. We're going to um, take um, not a whole lot of time on it, but uh, it's important for you to, for to, you to know. 
So this is a, a huge one for really all of the kids that I work with. Um, it, it's a difficult, um, it's really a difficult thing to teach. So having a lack of problem solving skills um, is not is not the easiest to teach our kids, but it happens to be one of the most important skills that they can learn. So if you think about yourself, you think about those around you, um, being able to think about a situation and figure out the different pieces that are involved in that situation and how do we solve a problem in a situation. Um, there's so many situations in our lives where we have to use problem solving skills every day. And so it's super important for us to start working on this. For you guys that have kids that are little still, start now. Start working on problem solving now. Um, be super intentional. For those of you that have um, kiddos that are older, start now. Go ahead and start working on problem solving now. It's never too late, but it's also never too early. And again, be super intentional. This is one of those things that I would suggest um, setting aside time every week to work on problem solving skills. And how are you going to do that? Let's look at a couple of strategies. Um, so this sounds terrible, but it's really not. You're going to intentionally sabotage situations. So, um, for example, let's say that your child has mastered setting the dinner table. They know how to get the forks and the spoons and everything out of the um, kitchen drawer. They know how to set the plates on the table, all those things. So the next time um, they need to set the table, take all the spoons out and just hide them somewhere. Just put them somewhere. You're just sabotaging that situation because now your child is going to have to figure out what do I do? Okay. So maybe, maybe you put them in the, um, in the dishwasher and they're clean and they need to problem solve and figure out where they can go look for those spoons. Um, same thing with, um, getting dressed in the morning. Let's say your child is mastered putting their socks and their shoes on, but you always put their shoes and the socks on the bed for them. Well, tomorrow morning, don't put their socks there. And they need to problem solve to figure out what do I need to do to be able to put my socks and shoes on this morning, okay? Um, there's all kinds of things that you can do at all different levels. Same thing, um, brushing your teeth. The child that has mastered the steps to brushing teeth, make sure that the toothpaste that's in the drawer doesn't is completely empty. There's no toothpaste in it. You know, there's all kinds of little things that you can do to sabotage a situation um, that you would be able to help them with. Now, this is where it's super important. Know your child. Know your child well. If, if that child that's setting the dinner table goes and you know that they're going to have a meltdown immediately because there aren't any spoons in the drawer, you're not going to take the spoons and hide them out of their sight the first time. You're going to take the spoons and maybe put them across the counter so that they can see them, but they're not where they should be because you don't, you don't want to push them into, into a meltdown intentionally um, to teach problem solving. So think through those um, scenarios, find ways, same thing like with the toothpaste, um, perhaps it's an empty toothpaste um, tube next to a brand new package of toothpaste in the drawer. And so they have to problem solve. What do I need to do? Bring out the one that I've always used every day or open up the new package, okay? So think about those things. Make sure that it's something that um, that's not gonna cause them too much distress, but it's a situation that you could help them to walk through um, and figure out how to solve the problem. So that's the next strategy is talking through those, um, talking through the problem solving strategy. Help them, don't fix the problem for them. Ask them leading questions. Oh, you don't have your spoons. Hmm, where do you think you might find clean spoons? And then hopefully they're gonna come up with eventually the dishwasher. Um, and then they'll be able to go and find the spoons. So same thing with the toothpaste. Uh -huh. You have two tubes of toothpaste. One is empty 
and one's brand new. What do you think you need to do next? And talk, these are really simple um, examples, but I want you to understand what the steps are so that you can take it and build on that for more complicated um, situations um, where they might need to do something a little more difficult. Um, again, don't fix all the problems. Um, don't fix everything for them. Help them to figure out what they could do to fix a problem. Walk them through, ask them those leading questions, get them to start thinking, putting the pieces together to um, find those situations. Um, modeling and talking through problem solving. I mentioned a minute ago in the refrigerator example, um, how you were modeling problem solving if you said, oh, well, we don't have any milk, but we have bread so I can fix toast instead. Well, you just modeled for your child how you were talking through a problem and showed them how um, just because you have a problem doesn't mean you also need to have a meltdown to go with that problem and how those small problems don't need to cause big um, emotions. So the more you can do that in your day, the more you can do that um, throughout your week, the more that your kid is going to see that and hear you and connect the dots with those things. And then finally, teaching them the steps. So this, this is a pretty cool um, chart. We use this in all of our social mission classes. Um, we use this with a lot of our young adults. Um, and it's basically a problem solving chart. And so if you look at it, kind of hard to read a little bit, but I'll kind of walk you through. Um, it looks a little bit complicated, but it's really not. So what you're going to do is, first of all, you're going to help to build their confidence. You're going to help them to realize that they have the they have the ability to problem solve. So it starts with, I can solve this problem myself. So then they need to walk down and you start helping them to think about what are three possible solutions. What do they think might fix the problem? And then you're going to teach them to try solution number one. If it didn't work, move to solution number two. If that one doesn't work, move to solution number three. And if that one still doesn't work, then we need to ask ourselves, do I need help? Okay. And if they need help, then we move over to the yellow side of the chart. So at this point, admitting that you need help is the first step. And sometimes, believe it or not, this is the hardest step for a lot of our kiddos. Because when you admit that you need help, you've also admitted that you can't do it on your own and that you aren't perfect. And for a lot of our kids, especially those that are um, that have autism, this is very difficult for them. So we have to work through this. And then once we've understood that we need help for the, um, to solve the problem, then we need to decide who are we going to ask? Who's the right person to help me solve the problem? Then we need to ask the question, is that person available now to help us? Because that's another piece of the puzzle that's difficult for a lot of our kids is if it's a problem for them, it's a huge problem for them and they want it solved immediately, regardless of what everybody else is doing. Um, so we have to talk about that and understand. So if they, if the person that you're asking for help is available, okay, go ask. But if they're not, maybe you can write them a note. Maybe you can call and text, leave them a message or text them. And then continue walking through that problem and um, until they either get it solved or realize that it's something that um, they need a lot more help for. So again, looks complicated. It's really not. Break it down into a lot of steps. Teach the steps a little at a time. This is why I'm proposing that regardless of how old your child is, you go ahead and get started now. Because teaching problem solving is not something that's going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month. And for most of our kids, it's probably not going to happen in a year. For most of our kids, this is going to be an ongoing um, for most of their life, teaching them to understand the difference between big problems and little problems and who do we ask in different situations and how do we ask um, in different situations. So go ahead and start talking about those things now and start introducing these um, different 
uh, strategies for them. Yes, independence is a process. It's something that we want all of our kiddos to achieve. It's, um, like I said in the very beginning, it looks different for everyone. Um, all of our kids can be working on different levels of independence, but it is something that is going to take a lot of time. So start now. Um, I know it's a lot of a lot of information in a very quick, um, short amount of time, but just pick one thing. Pick one little thing that you can take back home and um, implement. I had a parent at a training I did several weeks ago, and she um, came to me afterwards and she said, I heard you do this presentation last year and the other day I was doing something with my child and I remember I heard it in your presentation. I went home and I implemented it the next day and now we're doing it on a regular basis. So just take one little piece, go home and implement it. And then as you progress and master on that, add another piece. And I promise you the, what you, the benefits that you're gonna reap when your child is older and down the road are going to be um, more than you could ever imagine. So I wanna leave you with the last slide is my contact information. Um, I know I mentioned um, social motion and I mentioned the, my email address on this slide is actually my personal business, spectrumlinks.com. Um, we offer parent coaching and life coaching, social skills classes virtually, um, lots of different information for um, families, but that was, that's the best email to um, reach me. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Allison, for having me today. Brandy, um, when you said what you guys offer, social motion, um, parent coaching, mm -hmm. things like that, are these group classes? Are they one-on-one? -on -one? Um, this has been really, really helpful. And I love your um, suggestion of, you know, like take one little nugget, implement it, add to the next one. It's kind of like a strategy of any presentation or if you ever go to like a three-day conference or something, take right. something that you can implement right away when you get back. I think that's um, so very true. But another thing that you have said um, uh, throughout the presentation and this, a word that I love and I say often is intentional being yes. intentional you guys are intentionally here today and listening to this presentation because you need help and you right. want to to for your your loved one to grow and become more and more independent and we don't have they don't come with a manual that's how this works <laughs> no no right. no perfect manual but so i heard the intentionality which I, I think is really great but so we're we're just about out of time but i want you to take this time to tell uh, families more how you can help them because I know that this has been extremely valuable and while you're doing that I'll check the chat box for any other questions. Sure um, so social motion is located in Houston um, so the, those classes are in person they are social skills classes for pre-k age um, all the way through young adult. Um, our spectrum links we just launched a couple of weeks ago, um, the founder of social motion and I have started this to get services out to those that can't make it to Houston. Um, so spectrum links offers one on one parent coaching um, offers one on one life coaching for individuals um, that are, have a disability that are on the autism spectrum whether working going to school um, college. And then we're also um, offering virtual social skills classes for different age groups. And then starting in June, we'll have a whole library of what are called bite-sized learnings. So nothing will be more than two to three minutes long, um, but everything that you can imagine, you know, what is DIR floor time? What's discrete trial training? What is this? You know, what's the big deal about eye contact? All those different things that parents wanna know and. Um, need to find out we'll all be there so <clears throat> that is awesome um brandy um this was very helpful um everybody has um they're saying thank you for your advice is so good um one parent said and i you know i have older kids too so i can um you know relate um i wish i would have worked on these um some of the problem solving skills so much sooner I always say it's not about looking back, it's about looking forward and, and right. doing whatever you can. Um, but if you have somebody that has um, a loved one that's in their 20s, do you have any advice for them? You know, older kids, they've, they're they not 18 anymore or under 18. Right. 
Yeah, you know, um, really the same thing. I tell everybody it's never too early, but it's never too late either. So, you know, find find someone to support you with that. Um, you know, there's some great service agencies out there that are, and um, that's what they specialize in. That's what they help with. Um, but, you know, finding that motivation for that 26-year-old that may need to go get a job, um, helping them to understand that they do have skills and they do have value and they do, um, you know, they can go out there and go to work is to me is the most important thing. So just pick one thing, get them started and move forward from there. Um, thank you, Brandy. Uh, you are an awesome encourager. And just, I, I know like, again, adult kids here, but I feel like I have all these fresh, good, wonderful ideas. And so uh, we hope to partner with you uh, again soon. And we'll look to um, learn a little bit more about some of your other topics. It's been really great. Thanks everyone for thank spending you. your lunch hour with us today. You will get an email with today's slides and a link to the recording. It's certainly been our pleasure all of the recordings will also live on the YouTube channel and the link for the YouTube channel will be in the slides that you get, as well as any upcoming presentations uh, that we have. Uh, we always um, are happy to meet uh, with families to talk about your unique situation. Our consultations are always free, so feel free to reach out to us uh, should you need us. Thanks so much, everyone, and I hope you have a great afternoon. Take care now. Thank you. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.